So you should have the text in your handout there if you want to refer to it again. It's not uncommon to hear the word Pharisee with uh, the country's growing biblical illiteracy. It's, I think, less and less understood, but you hear it, you see it occasionally. Um, Its contemporary meaning is that it is used to describe a religious leader, uh, somebody who, at least on the external, is a strict rule follower, uh, but in secret, they're most likely a hypocrite, and uh, they tend to be considered wealthy or more of the upper class, and so they disdain the lower classes, and uh, no one really wants to be a Pharisee. And so the Pharisee is the, one of the central figures in our story tonight. In fact, the story begins, now one of the Pharisees. And so here's where we need to stop right away. It's, again, one of these passages that we've been looking at as we've gone through this series on, on who is Jesus and why should we believe in him. Um, it's one of those passages that re- really has a long context in, in the text. And so there's a, in, the, in the passage previous to what we read tonight, it narrates the, uh, the, uh, the question that John the Baptist, so John the Baptist was in jail for a time, and John the Baptist, um, and we're going to cover this passage in a later, t- uh, later message, uh, John the Baptist had gotten to the point where he was somewhat offended about Jesus, what he was doing, what he was saying. Again, I'll, we'll explore that later, but he sends messengers to Jesus and, and he asks, are, are you the one or shall we look for another? And so Jesus responds and then he turns to the crowds that are with him and he says that none born of women are greater than John, John the Baptist. And then Luke makes a comment about what Jesus had said, and he says this. Now, and it's in in parentheses in your Bibles. It says that when all of the people heard this, Jesus' statement about nobody being greater than John the Baptist, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just or fair, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And so Luke makes a comment about two different groups here about Jesus' statement. So the first group he refers to as the people, including the tax collectors. And he says of those people, the people and the tax collectors, that that they had accepted the purpose of God for themselves, but that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God. So the question we have to ask is, what is the purpose of God that they have either accepted or rejected? And so the purpose of God, you know, in all of the Gospels, they all begin with Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God is, is the promise of a world that has gotten rid of, that God has gotten rid of the oppressive, tyrannical leaders. He's gotten rid of crime. He's gotten rid of sin and oppression. There's no more pain. There's a world of peace. It's the kingdom of God. 
That's what the purpose of God is. Since, since the very beginning with man and woman, he has promised that he was going to build a people and a world and a kingdom known for peace and love and truth instead of violence and deception. So that's what God is doing. And so what he's saying here is that the, all of the crowds, the masses, the people, including the tax collectors who were the outcasts in society, they accepted the purposes of God because they had been baptized by John. So when John was doing his ministry, he was baptizing people as a baptism of, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so if you acknowledge that you were a sinner in need of forgiveness, you went and got baptized. If you didn't acknowledge that, you didn't get baptized, and you rejected the message that John had. And so the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the lawyers had rejected this. And it says, for themselves. So you see here that it's this individual, individual thing that they had each decided. And so that's the backdrop to this story. It's all about what it means to accept or reject the purposes of God for oneself. And so then we have our reading that starts. It says, Jesus then asks the Pharisee to dine at home. So Jesus accepts the invitation, um, and they, they go to the house. They sit down and recline at the table, and a woman comes in. It's a woman that Luke describes as a woman of the city, a sinner. Now, it's probably a prostitute, but Luke doesn't say. And there's some mystery behind who and what this woman is, and that's actually part of the story. Well, this woman of the city, this sinner, comes in, and she wets Jesus' feet with her tears, and she washes Jesus' feet with her hair and dries it. And then she anoints Jesus' feet with this costly ointment. Now it's in a, it doesn't say what the ointment is, but because of the container that's in, it's a stone container, most likely was a very expensive one. And so she anoints Jesus' feet with this costly perfume. So the Pharisee is observing all of this. They're at the table. The woman is behind Jesus doing this to his feet. All these Pharisees are around, and he says something in his mind. It says he says to himself, or he thinks to himself, now if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this was. And if he knew this woman and what kind of woman she was, she would never, he would never let her touch him. So the question is, one of the questions that I think that we should ask as we go along in this passage is, how did the Pharisee know? How did the Pharisee know who this woman was and what kind of woman she was? Was it because she had such a widespread bad reputation, or was the Pharisee somehow involved in this woman? That's just a question. But how does he know? If he expects a prophet to know, he knows something that he wouldn't, unless he was a prophet. And so he uses this to cast doubt on Jesus and his powers as a prophet. But we'll see that Jesus knows who this woman is and what kind of woman this is as well. And so Jesus reads the Pharisee's mind. 
So we as readers can already see, well, this isn't something that the Pharisees spoke out loud. So Jesus must be able to read people's minds. And then he tells a short parable. He asks, hey, can I say something to you? His name is Simon, the Pharisee. And Simon says, go ahead. And so he tells this short, par- short parable. There's a money lender. And the money lender has lent money out to two people. One person, he loaned 500 days wages. So that's a lot of money. And to another person, he loaned 50 days wages, which is also a lot of money. A month and a half or a year and a half. A lot of money. Either one. Neither of them could repay the moneylender. So the moneylender forgives them both. And so then he asks Simon, the Pharisee, which one of those debtors do you think loved the moneylender more? Well, the Pharisee answers correctly. Obviously, the, the one who owed the most money is going to love the moneylender the most. And so the Pharisee has kind of walked into this trap, and so when Jesus then, he kind of turns the tables on the, on the Pharisee. And so he says, and he makes this comparison. He says, Simon, let's look at, let's look at this situation. When it comes to love and when it comes to hospitality, you invited me into your house, but this woman has showed me a much greater demonstration of hospitality and love. I came, into, I came into your house. I had dirty feet. You didn't offer any towel or water or anyone to wash my feet, but this woman has washed my feet with her tears and her hair. I came into your house. You gave me no kiss. Nobody in your house gave me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since she got here. She is anointing my feet with this costly perfume. You gave me no oil to anoint myself. And so he, can, he shows Simon the Pharisee that when it comes, if you're going to compare the two, she is rich in spirit and in love. And the Pharisee is poor. He's poor in love. He's poor in spirit. So you kind of go back to those the sermons that Jesus was saying that, you know, who, who, he who is poor in spirit, he who is, is poor and sad and lonely, blessed are you. And so this woman comes in and she is, on the appearance of things, poor in spirit. But we'll see as we continue to explore this that she's actually very strong in spirit and that meeting Jesus has transformed her. And so the Pharisee is put into his place by Jesus Christ by demonstrating that this woman is a much greater demonstrator of hospitality and love than he is. And so in here we see this this idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness. So this woman, Jesus says, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And it seems like She had already experienced that because she went to Jesus worshiping him. She went to Jesus in gratitude, thanking him. And so I think when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, go in peace, it was a a kind of a confirmation from an experience that she had already had in being forgiven by Jesus Christ. And so there are several things I want to work out here in regard to what it means to be forgiven. 
The word, well, first of all, to be forgiven of something implies that you need to be forgiven of something for. So those are called sins. Jesus says your sins are forgiven. So sins, it's a word that's kind of been out of fashion, but Google's got this cool tool that you can um, see from like, I don't know, back into the 1800s easily on word usage because they scan all these books and everything. And so it's the word sin or sins is out of fashion from the 20s. It took a decline from the 20s, 1920s, to the 1980s, but actually it's been picking up. And from the 2000s to now, we're back at the 1880s level in terms of our culture's use of the word sin. Culture's use of the word sin. And so the word sin generally means that we are out of step with God's laws. We're out of step with God's will. We're out of step with God's purposes. It hinders, having sin is a hindrance to our ability to be fully human, to, to, to be happy, to be prosperous. Sin erodes these things. I've heard, it, I've heard the word sin uh, say that it's disordered loves. We, we have affections for things that pull us away from what is right and good and true. Those, those loves that we have, those desires that we have, pull us away from what is good. And sins are anything that hurts ourselves and hurts others and offends God. So that's, a, those, that's what sin means. Now this woman, we have to think about what, what is the process that this woman has gone through? Well, it's said, you know, if, if, we're, if we're reading in the context of this passage that has come before and the rest of the gospel, she had heard John the Baptist's preaching. The preaching about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All the people and the tax collectors. Now, the Gospel of Luke doesn't throw in prostitutes anywhere in his Gospel. But the other Gospels do with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, the outcasts. This woman was amongst those people. She had been baptized by John the Baptist. She had been preparing, she had, been prepa- she had prepared herself to meet Jesus Christ. She had heard Jesus' preaching because Jesus was preaching a gospel of forgiveness. John the Baptist said that Jesus would come and, and preach a, a gospel and, and baptize with fire and the Spirit. And so when this woman then when she hears this preaching from John and from Jesus and enters into to baptism, she gets baptized. And to be baptized means that you are identifying yourself with the message of the person that is baptizing. And so she has acknowledged her sin, whatever they were. The text doesn't say. But she is a sinner, a woman of the city. She has acknowledged her sin. She doesn't make any excuses about her sins. Had she had a husband that left her, leaving her financially destitute? Possibly. Did she have terrible parents that actually may have farmed her out and and trafficked her for income? Maybe. We have no idea. Maybe she just made a lot of money doing it. She had this really expensive ointment. We don't know. The woman doesn't make any excuses about her sins. She doesn't blame her parents. She doesn't blame 
the system. She doesn't blame a husband. But she felt the weight of her sin and her need for forgiveness. And when John said that Jesus was preaching a, a, a message of, of baptism, that Jesus would come and baptize in fire in the Spirit, what John was saying is that Jesus is going to come to judge. Jesus is going to come to judge. And so if Jesus was going to baptize in fire and baptize in the Spirit, the fire is judgment. So why is there judgment for sin? Well, as Jesus explained in this little parable, there's always a cost to sin. There's always a cost. Forgiveness always has a cost. The moneylender in the parable absorbed the cost. It cost him something to forgive those two debtors. If we pay fully our debts, that's not forgiveness. That's you've met your financial obligations, the debt has been fulfilled, everybody's even. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means somebody else has taken the cost that somebody else should have paid. And so in sin... Whenever we sin against somebody, somebody sins against us, we offend and sin against God, there is emotional cost. There's, there could be physical cost. There's psychological cost. There could be economic cost. There's all kinds of costs that we bear as people when we sin against others and when they sin against us. I think that um, there's a book it was recommended to me last year called The Body Takes Its Toll or something like that. The Body Keeps the Score. And basically it's saying that um, we go through this life and we encounter all of these evils and, the, and our body and our minds keep the score. Our bodies are affected. Stress, anxiety, depression, mental disorders, all of these things, our body keeps the score. And so there's a cost to sin. So what was the debt or what was the cost that this woman incurred? Well, first and foremost, it was against God, against Jesus. In fact, from a biblical standpoint, all of our sin is ultimately somehow in some way costing God. You know, when David, the, the uh, King David in the book of Samuel, um, he kills a man, Uriah, the husband of a wife, of a woman that he has slept with, that David has slept with, and she gets pregnant. And to hide the pregnancy, to hide the affair, David has this woman's husband killed. But then in Psalm 51, he, he says this, against you, and it's kind of a confession about this sin. He says, against you, you only, God, have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight, that you may be just in your judgment. And here's what David was saying. It's true that our sins against people um, cost them. 
But the only one who can stand in judgment for our sins is God. And that's because not only are we people that get sinned against, but we're also people that do the sinning. So none of us are in a place of judgment. None of us are in a place of saying, you owe me for your sin. Because we are also doing the same thing. But God, who has not sinned and who has created us, it costs him. It's, it hurts him because we are his creation. This woman recognized that she was not her own. Why did she go to Jesus for forgiveness? Well, she recognized that she was not her own, but that she was his. You know, in our contemporary way of thinking, we believe that we own our bodies. And so much of what happens in our culture wars and our culture comes out of this idea that our bodies are our property. Well, our, our bodies came from our parents. So we had nothing to do with the fact that we were created. God gives life to all things. We didn't give life to ourselves. Well, we think that we are our own property. It's part of our individualistic way of thinking. Well, this woman didn't believe that. She recognized after hearing John and Jesus preach and after getting baptized and repenting of her sin, she recognized that she owed and was in debt to God and that she had been rebelling against God in her sin. The judgment is inevitable. The fire of Jesus' baptism would burn us up. And so, but Jesus is also baptizing in the Spirit. And so we could ask, well, okay, if, if, if I am a sinner and I'm going to be judged for my sin and I'm going to have to pay the cost for my sin, is there any way out of it? Well, John also said that Jesus is going to come and baptize in the Holy Spirit. And so this is how we avoid getting burned up. So to be baptized by Jesus into the Spirit is to believe that Jesus Christ has offered something to forgive us. See, to be baptized into Jesus is to be covered by Jesus. The word baptism means to immerse or totally cover up. And so Jesus is who covers us up. Jesus covers the debt. That's why Jesus is able to forgive. Jesus has paid the debt. He paid that debt on the cross. He died and took judgment upon himself so that those who believed in him would not have to. The woman was baptized into this message, baptized into this message of Jesus' death. Jesus paid the cost so she wouldn't have to. The woman was then forgiven. And then upon belief in that, the Spirit baptizes us. The Spirit washes us. The Spirit puts the Spirit of Jesus Christ into us. And so we're seen as Jesus Christ, no longer as that old person, that sinner of the city. So let's look at what forgiveness did for this woman, because it's, 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 it's amazing if you kind of sit and meditate on what this woman did after her experience of forgiveness. Again, we all know the effects of guilt for our sin, of, of shame, of fear, of public scorn, the depression, the anxiety, the sadness, the loneliness, the substance abuse, the 
addictions, the anger and violence that comes out of that. We could go on and on. It's all the ills of our society. And we know that this woman had to have experienced some of those. She had a public reputation, was condemned by the elite, didn't participate in any of the community or social or religious events or gatherings. She's an outcast. She's with the tax collectors. But something started happening to her when she heard the message that John the Baptist and Jesus had about forgiveness. So they were, they were exposing everybody's sins. They were exposing tax collectors' sins. They were exposing soldiers' sins. They were exposing prostitutes' sins. They were exposing the sins of the Pharisees, the sins of the lawyers. They were exposing the sins of the governors. They were exposing everybody's sins. Nobody was exempt. But then she heard this offer of forgiveness and cleansing and the possibility of a fresh start. It wouldn't come by hiding, but by exposing. So we know at some point, publicly, because John was doing all of his ministry and his baptizing publicly, she had to enter into public. She had to go into the water and be baptized by John. She is steadily exposing herself and her sins to everybody. That's funny. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I left it in my bag. So she experiences that from John the Baptist, but then she goes and looks for Jesus. Why? Because John the Baptist is saying, someone greater than I is coming, and he's going to baptize with the Spirit. And so she's looking for Jesus. This woman is looking for Jesus, and she finds out that Jesus is going to be at the Pharisee's house having dinner with more Pharisees. Now, do the Pharisees, again, that this, this woman is an outcast, she's a pariah, she's an untouchable. But she goes into this house full of Pharisees, full of the people that have scorned her and made fun of her and held her at a distance and mocked her and disdained her. But she goes boldly into that room because Jesus is there. And Jesus has given her life. And there's a little bit of, there's a, there's a little bit of me that is, is thinking that she didn't hesitate to go into that house with all the Pharisees. I think that she probably even wanted to show them, hey, look how free I am. You, you and your judgments of me don't matter anymore. It doesn't say that, but, you know, ever, people have a perspective of biblical literature that it doesn't give very many details, because we're used to a lot of details in our, in our writing. We read a novel today, and so many details, exhausting at times. Biblical literature, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, the narrative literature, uh, is intentionally sparse in the detail, because it forces us to ask questions of the text that aren't necessarily going to get answered, but they're questions that are good questions to ask because there's similarities in what the narrative is saying to what our everyday life experiences are. So we can imagine this situation 
And the, the nerve and the courage of spirit that this woman would have had to have to go into that house full of Pharisees. But again, Jesus was there. And I think, again, I think that she was saying, you, you are no longer going to shame me because I have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Now, in conclusion, we, we can easily sympathize with the woman. And, you know, and obviously, when, whenever we hear some public reference to Pharisees, everybody knows that they are a condemned people for their arrogance and their hypocrisy and their judgment. So we, can, we always easily sympathize with the woman, and we easily disdain the Pharisee. But that's not the point. The point isn't to agree with the text that the Pharisee's a bad person. The point of the text is to ask ourselves the question, are we accepting the purposes of God for ourselves, or are we rejecting the purposes of God for ourselves? If we accept, if we, if we want to accept the purposes of God for ourselves, then we have to enter into the baptism of forgiveness and repentance. We have to become, in fact, we have to recognize that we are, like this woman of the city, a sinner. We have to recognize that that's us. That's us. If we want to participate in what the text says are the purposes of God. If not, then we're the Pharisee. If not, we are the Pharisee. See, the Pharisee didn't become the Pharisee just because he was born into it. The Pharisee became a Pharisee in terms of how we think about Pharisees because he was unwilling to acknowledge his need for God. He wasn't willing to acknowledge his need for forgiveness. He saw no need to repent. And so, now, you may not be interested in, in participating and accepting the purpose of God for yourselves. But let me give this to you in closing. Everybody has a good perspective of Jesus. Jesus was a cool guy. Jesus helped the outcasts and the poor. He hung out with all of the, the people that a lot of people don't want to hang out with. And so everybody thinks that Jesus is a great guy, a cool guy. So whether or not you want to accept the purpose of God for yourself, that's an issue. But what may bother you more is how Jesus thinks of you. Now, you may not be a follower of Jesus, but can you read this text and be okay with Jesus thinking that unless you follow him, you're a Pharisee? You're not a good person. There's no good people. When somebody came up to Christ and says, good teacher, and asked him a question, and Jesus said, why did you say good teacher? Do you know that there's no one that is, is good except for God? None of us are good. But if you read this story and you condemn the Pharisee and you identify with the woman and you want to think and you want Jesus to think highly of you, you have to recognize that if you don't follow him, then you're a Pharisee. Then you're a Pharisee. 
See, Jesus provides the forgiveness that we need because he has absorbed the cost. Do we want to be free of sin? Do we want to be free of shame? Do we want to be free of fear and anxiety? Do we want to have the courage? Imagine the courage and the strength of spirit that that woman had to push back the shame and the guilt and the condemnations and the scorn and to come face to face with all those Pharisees with Jesus. Jesus died so that we could live. Let me say a quick prayer. God, we, uh, we don't want to be the Pharisee. We don't. We want to experience what this woman experienced in the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. So our prayer, God, tonight is simple. Help us to see where we're at and whether or not we've accepted or have rejected the purpose of God for ourselves and help us to see what Jesus is really wanting to offer. In your son's name we pray, amen.